0: Welcome to episode three of Ethereal Underground. Once again, I'm privileged to have a good friend in the studio in person for episode three. We've known each other for quite some time now. And I know this sounds funny, and I'll repeat it because I'll need to repeat it. We call him Sasquatch Dad. And that's right. You heard me. Sasquatch Dad. So our guest today... On episode three is Sasquatch Dad. By now, listening to the first couple episodes, my background is a research scientist specializing in field theory. I always like the guests to describe a little bit about themselves, where they grew up, what generation they consider themselves, the time period they went to high school, so that you get a feel from where they're coming from. Let's get straight to the interview, and I'll introduce to everyone Sasquatch Dad. How you doing? Pretty
1: good. Thanks for having me today. It's nice to be here. Yeah, I I came from a a small town in mid-Missouri, kind of a little bit of a resort, kind of recreational area, but it's also very rural in parts, and it's been a nice place to grow up. I come from a a family that's kind of farming-based, a couple generations back. I have grandparents on both sides that farmed in this area. I learned a lot from them. I went to school here, a little small town school, more country-based school, a lot of farming, hunting, country, just anything country, that's kind of what we did growing up. I graduated in 2010. that make me, technically, you'd call me a millennial. That's be what my generation would be. I kind of really liked it around here, continued to stay, enjoyed the community in the area. I ended up marrying a, a local girl, and we got a, a little kid together. He's uh, three years old. We kind of continued that and trying to raise him in that way and that country life. Just continue to kind of live off the
0: land, be closer to nature than we are to like cities and such. You mentioned you had the three-year-old. Now, that's what we call uh, little Sasquatch. Yeah, that's right. We have little Sasquatch, uh, three years old, and you married a local girl. Both of you like this area, is that correct?
1: Yeah, uh, definitely my wife. She's just like me. She grew up in more of a a smaller area, just a little ways away from where I am. And we both just, we like the country we live in. Where we're at, we're a little ways away from any big cities. So we're able to kind of enjoy that life without any too much bleed through from that city
0: life. Not to put you on the spot, but whatever you, you feel free to share with the audience, could you tell the audience maybe how many we in your family growing up, uh, siblings, and uh, a little bit about your parents. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Definitely. My mom and dad are both from this area. Uh, again, we go back a few generations on, on either side in, in this local area we live in. And my dad, he died when I was younger. Uh, again, they're both, they, they like to farm. They were, he was an outdoorsman, he was a hunter and fished, loved to fish. He, he really liked this area, worked on a golf course his whole life. So he's always out in the sun, and kind of worked with his hands his whole life. My mom was the same way. She was a, a, a gardener at the same golf course, grew up farming, enjoying. The kind of same life I do. Uh, they only had me. He died when I was younger, when I was about three. He passed away and my mom remarried. She had two
0: more kids. I'm the oldest of three. I got a brother and I got a little sister. Okay. You're the oldest of three. Mm-hmm. Yep. Your dad passed away. You were real, real young. Yep. I'm just wondering, at three, do you have, you wouldn't have many memories, would you, of your dad? That's awful young.
1: It, it could be that I'm just a weirdo, but uh, I do. I actually have not a whole lot, but I have probably. 10, 20 good memories. One of my, one of one that I actually think about a lot is, uh, it's where I got kind of my passion for, for fishing and uh, kind of outdoors. But uh, I remember going with my dad. He was a big bow hunter as well. I remember handing him arrows when I was probably about two and a half.
0: I remember handing him arrows as he would practice shoot, getting ready for deer season. So that's probably where a uh, little Sasquatch gets that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> with your dad passing away, you being the oldest, cause you had the younger siblings. Did you ever play a role of being the older brother or a father figure to your siblings to where were a little more mature or had to grow up faster, not having a dad?
1: Yeah, definitely. My stepdad, their dad wasn't the greatest. He wasn't there all the time. I actually, at a young age, I would take care of my brother and sister and you know, my mom ended up being a single mom and working to provide for us. While that happened, I was the one that stepped up and kind of helped raise them, especially through my teenage years. I was mostly spent kind of watching them and making sure that they were good to go, ready for school, all that, and let my mom kind of be the be the provider for us.
0: When you're 14, 15, 16 years old, you're not the typical 14, 15, 16 year old boy, because you had that heavy responsibility. You were really the older brother and kind of stepped in played a role as as being a, a partial father figure for the brothers and sisters you had.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I could definitely see the difference. I had a lot of family and friends and we were always be considered poor. We were in the poor class. I had a lot of friends. I, I was kind of a, I always called myself kind of like a social octopus or something. I always had friends throughout every social class. I had football player friends, basketball player, maybe a little bit more in the outcast group. I always had friends all, all throughout. And I recognized the difference between me and, and there's other kids in, in around my age group that were the same, that kind of have same issues that I had where I had to help maybe the younger siblings or or maybe even a parent, whatever it was. But yeah, I definitely, I, I had to mature a little faster. Wasn't able to kind of do a lot of the things that the other kids did. Some of them had a little bit more
0: active social lives than I did. Now, over the years, you and I have known each other. Of course, I'm a lot older than you are. I guess technically you could call me dad. Yeah. <laughs> but Maybe you don't because you don't want to hurt my feelings. You've always been, you've since I've known, you've always been a hard worker. You don't let any... Uh, grass grow under your feet
1: no no so not at all. do
0: you think the fact that you're always working you're an entrepreneur maybe a little bit later we can tell it's you have your own business you do a lot of construction work mm-hmm. quality construction work as well as farming which we'll get into in this episode do you think the fact that you're industrious always a hard worker never relied on handouts is attributed to the fact that you had to step up so early and be kind of that older brother or father figure for the family? Yeah, it definitely played a role.
1: I I do know just from talking to family members, my dad was also a hard worker. He had almost a similar but different situation. He was one of 12. He had uh, 11 brothers and sisters. So he didn't really have like a a normal childhood either. They kind of had to help take care of each other and stuff like that. He was in a similar outlook, I guess you could say. We both were put into positions where we had to kind of bust our butts to make sure we had what we needed because our parents being a single mother with three kids or a nuclear family that has 12 kids either way there's not a lot of extra money to go around and a lot of extra time and effort that you can put into the kids in both those aspects we had to kind of step up and i had to as a young adult make sure that i was not frivolous with my time or energy i had to make sure everything counted definitely as i got older i'm going on 30 now when i was a little younger i kind of had had my uh, heyday when i Right around time I hit 21 but I kind of has sobered up and realized that's not the way I wanted to live my life it's made me really concentrate and I've got to make sure that each day I'm taking care of my family I, I don't I don't like to just sit there and do nothing that's maybe every once in a while but not every day if it, I get bored real easy and I get to where I kind of get antsy if I'm
0: just sitting there doing nothing I definitely got to do something that that brings value to my life that's interesting your dad was one of 12
1: yeah Now,
0: can you mention that TV show, 12 is Enough? Yeah. (laughs) Were they known as the bunk bed family?
1: Oh, yeah. Actually, my grandparents on that side And my mom was one of seven as well. They both had big families. My dad's side, they actually had an old trailer house from the 50s that my grandparents lived in. And then uh, maybe one or the two of the older kids that were quite a bit older. I think there's almost a 30-year age gap between my oldest uncle and my dad and his uh, youngest brother. By the time they were 18, 20, the younger kids would stay over in a separate house that was built that had like a bunk room and a fireplace and a little kitchen area. Uh, The younger kids would stay over there while the older kids would help out and kind of do other stuff while my, my
0: grandparents did their thing. I take it if either side, your mom or dad's side, if, if they did have family reunions, I guess that's what we call our state fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, to be honest, I, you probably populate quite a big place with uh, both sides of my family. That'd be an accurate statement. <laughs> your family name is probably well known yes. in, in the part of Missouri that you're born and raised. You have many generations going back, and it's, again, such a large family.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. On my mother's side, her mom, that surname, it was actually, they've been here for a little over 100 years, and it's actually well known that they've spread quite prolifically because it's kind of funny, as you go back through the generations on either side, my mom's mom was one of, I believe, eight or nine. And then my, uh, my grandpa and my grandma on my dad's side, were both one of 10, 11, 12. For the most part, there's a lot of all those generations, many generations that are spread out in the surrounding area. If, if it's a local person, I can probably find someone in common
0: pretty quickly that both of us know because our families are just so spread out around here. Today, you do a combination of two things. You're a homesteader. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, little Sasquatch, you and your wife decided to raise them in what manner?
1: Well, I would call it traditional. Now, um, maybe modern families wouldn't think it was traditional, That for them, it's a little more normal to go buy formula and go buy food from the store, all that. And then that's how they raise the kid, maybe send them to public school. Well, we're kind of more old school, I guess you could say. And my my wife, obviously, she breastfed. She didn't want to go through the formula stage. We we like to kind of get back to, to nature, where I believe humans are supposed to be, which is you raise your own food, you raise your kid yourself, and then if you have the opportunity, You try to teach them yourself as well, which for us, my profession, it allows me to kind of provide for us in a manner to where my wife can take more time to actually dedicate to our son. Whereas I know a lot of families, including my own growing up, that wasn't the case. My mom didn't have the time to to put in and raise like she probably would have wanted to raise us. Whereas my life experiences have taught me that there's a better way to do it in my eyes. So that's what we've done is kind of go back to natural. Farming, gardening, and trying to kind of be, be in tune with the earth versus against it. For me, city
0: life is is more against the earth versus down the country and living off the land. I'm very impressed by that. So I want to let the listening audience know that this episode we're going to get into organic living yep. versus inorganic. The path that you and your wife chose with little Sasquatch of the homestead or homeschooling organic foods, the breastfeeding, and then the fact that he's active in your life as far as tending to the livestock, which we'll mention, teaching them about farming, uh, fishing, uh, working with the animals. But what's interesting, you made this decision in your mid-20s. Usually the maturity isn't there, I've noticed, of people in their mid-20s, and you... And your wife specifically chose careers, real estate, home purchases, l- limiting your debts so that you could have this kind of lifestyle and raise little Sasquatch in the manner you described, that it, it's it's not common. Mm-hmm. No, definitely you, not. It's done. Yes, it's done. But it's very uncommon in the United States for someone in their mid-20s, now that you're were you 30, close to 30. Almost 30. Yeah, yep. 30. So that is to me very interesting. And I think that's also why we get the, get along so well is we have that in common, but I'm much older than you and you figured out a lot earlier than I did. That's good for you. <laughs> yeah. I just
1: kind of growing up, I, I I guess I had the uh, experience of the generations before me to look at. So when you have the double digits of aunts and uncles, and then you got multiple tens, you know, twenties, 30 forty cousins, and they're all, I'm the youngest, even in my my uh, group of cousins, I'm toward the bottom. I, I may be the oldest of my family, but as far as all my cousins go, I'm quite a bit younger than most of them. Growing up, I, I was able to see my grandparents and how they lived and how simple their lives were. Maybe they didn't have a brand new car or a brand new house, but they were happy. They liked what they were doing and they undo expenses and debt and stuff like that. So it actually helped them to, to live the way they actually wanted to live. And then I watched the other generations drift away from that to where they didn't raise their own food. Maybe some of them were hunters or fishers might have had that as a hobby, but none of them really did it to, to provide for their family. I watched them kind of shoot themselves in the foot over and over and over to the point to where and my wife had the same thing. She's come from a much smaller family, but she's seen the same stuff. She's a little bit younger than me, but when I was in my mid-20s, she was in her early 20s. We just kind of looked at both of our families, looked how our lives have been going, where we were more career. We wanted to make more and more money. We wanted to have all these nice things and we kind of looked at each other like you know we see the rest of our family that has these things now and none of them are happy there's a high divorce rate in both sides of our family there's high rates of uh, disease and illness we're like well obviously to us that seems like a weird way to go there's not a a lot of sense that what's the definition of insanity it's doing the same thing over and over but expecting different results so we thought what if we looked at our grandparents because her grandparents are actually farmers too Look at how healthy they are at their age. My grandparents lived to be in their 80s and 90s. My great-grandpa and one of his uncles, actually, they were up there. And for a while, they were the oldest people in the county we live in. Uh, one got up, to I think, 105. He was 105 when he died. We were like, why? why not try that? Instead of going with our parents who have health problems in their 50s and 60s that could lead to, uh, to early termination of life, I, I think we want to go a different route. I think we're going to go back to our grandparents and our great-grandparents and attempt that way of living and see how that works for us. Because that seems best to have had a better quality of life versus what our, our immediate family did.
0: So I think your immediate family encourages, or they encouraged a route of maybe going to school, college, getting a career, and then getting the mortgage, the credit cards, the car payments. And then you're in that cycle of middle-class lifestyle, a lot of debt, a lot of stress, anxiety, don't have the ability to... Cook home fresh meals, certainly wouldn't have the time for your, your own garden. You have a lifestyle, maybe a lot of fast food or processed foods. And then you have all the health situations, especially hitting when family members are in their 50s and older. To be able to see that in your 20s, that's why I think kudos to you to see that and go, you know what, we're going to opt out of that and choose to copy more of the grandparents lifestyle.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. A lot of my life experience led me to that. So maybe other people haven't had the chance to see that, but especially mine with such a big family, it was just for us, it was easy to see. I call it a city life. That's what a lot of my immediate family, that's what they aspire to is that more of that city type of living where there's, they have less involvement in how their life goes. They just go to work, pay the bills, come home. and That's all. Maybe have a couple of hobbies, but there's no fulfillment and there's no excitement in actually living. They're more living for the next paycheck or living for the next nice item that they want to buy, whatever, versus just kind of enjoying life as it is.
0: I always use the terminology chasing plastic and leather. Yeah. yeah. Which you and I both opted not to do that. It just does, does not interest us. Now, this is audio. The audience can't see you. Reasons for the nickname Sasquatch Dad is... You're not a small fellow. So I'll just describe he's very tall. He's uh, over six foot two, probably, extremely muscular, and looks like a miniature version of Paul Bunyan, I would say.
1: <laughs> That's all because I wear flannel a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. But he's a gentle giant. So you would not want to. Uh, s- Sasquatch Dad is very mild mannered, which is good because he could probably crush me like an aluminum can <laughs> if he wanted to. But he doesn't. One of your primary occupations is you're in construction. You do a lot of new home construction, remodeling, and you have a good reputation in this area. You're, you're super busy in that line of work. In fact, we were just talking before the interview. You actually turn down jobs and turn a lot of work away because you want to be on the homestead and spend more time with your family. And you're not falling, which you easily could, yep. you're not falling into the trap of materialism. You want to make a comment on that? Yeah,
1: no, definitely. I So along with farming, construction is another big line of work that uh, a lot of my family went into. In school, I, I enjoyed uh, technology. I actually was one of Silicon Valley, believe it or not, was one of the things that I, that's a, one of my aspirations when I was a teenager. I thought that's where I would end up and I help develop some you know huge technology and all this. My first job was actually at a, a local grocery store. <clears throat> I was inside predominantly the whole time. I spent almost a year there from when I was 15 to 16. I spent almost my entire time inside. The only time I was outside was to go grab carts. If people didn't bring it back to the, to the appropriate spot. So that almost killed me. I hated it. I hated being inside. I was always, even as a kid, I, I, I loved in the summertime, especially summer and winter Those those are my big ones. When I was a kid, I, I loved being outside swimming, fishing, running around outside. And then in the wintertime, I loved going out and sledding. We have a lot of calm hollers around here. A lot of big hills that we could sled down. I always loved being outside. When I graduated high school, I started to go to college to become a tech. I wanted to work with computers, possibly even design video games. And I just kind of had a, a change of heart and I didn't want to. I, I knew if I went that route, it'd mean 12, 14, 16, maybe even 18 hour days in an office somewhere or a, in a, a lab developing these games or technology. I literally couldn't see myself there. And I, I just knew I'd be unhappy if I was inside for that long a period of time. I decided, why not? I Like, like Tim said, I, I'm a big guy. I'm strong. I was like, well, a lot of my cousins are too. They're doing well in construction. I was like, maybe I'll contact one of them and see if I can get into construction with them. And that's what's happened. And here, almost ten years later, I I've got my own business and I, I love it because I, I do a little bit of inside work, but I remodel stuff. But I I can be outside and be engaged with uh, outdoors versus being stuck in some cubicle somewhere. And it's really a It's helped me over the years to realize what I want to do. And one of those things is, is I don't want to work all the time. I I see, just like I said before, with seeing everybody with that materialist lifestyle in my family, I I don't want to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. I don't even want to work 40 hours a week. I want to work 20, 30 at the max. And I want to support my family, but I want time to to raise animals, do a garden. I want to watch my son grow up. I want to be out. I want to fish. I want to be out in nature. So that's, that's kind of the, I, I couldn't do that working for someone else or in a different profession. I just kind of developed my skills so that I'd be able to, to continue to do that. Like I said, we're really busy down here right now and I'm sure if I wanted to, I could put in 80 hours
0: a week easily, but I just not my cup of tea. It's not what I like to do. Your personality type, like mine, especially for me the last 25 years, the thought of an office, uh, staring at a computer screen, fluorescent light fixtures, the white noise, indoor, Building pollution, it just isn't what you wanted. You have a trade, a profession that allows you to spend a lot of time outside. You're also being physical. So that helps with your health, your heart rate, your muscle tone, as opposed to being behind a desk staring at a computer. And your skills with your homestead, you built your house. You've got some uh, acreage, I think is some family acreage. You uh, built your house. You did all the plumbing and electrical work. And uh, this will egress into the next phase of the episode. But you've established uh, uh, gardens. You're in a process of building a greenhouse. We've been talking about that. A real nice greenhouse. And then livestock. So you want to tell a little bit. You've got your homestead. You uh, built that. It's kind of, a, I'd say it qualifies as off the grid and your gardening, greenhouse, and livestock. Growing up again, so I, I do come from a multi generational farming family on, on
1: both sides. When I was growing up, we always had fresh food. Winter times, you might have a little more potatoes, onions that keep over the winter. But uh, yeah, through spring, summer, fall, especially fresh food. Fresh produce was always on the table. We had chickens growing up, so we always had fresh chickens. You could trade. If someone else had pigs, my mom would trade back and forth, and we'd always have fresh meat, fresh produce, everything on the table. As I became an adult, one day we were kind of doing a budget, and we were looking at our, our finances, and we realized how much money you actually spend going to the store and buying what someone else has grown. And if you really sit down and do a budget, it's astronomical how much you can save. By doing this stuff yourself, not only did we want to live this lifestyle, but we realized that financially, it would save us and help us so much. We we decided that was about three to four years ago. Now we we started our first garden as a couple. That one wasn't the greatest. I remembered some stuff from as as a kid, but my wife was a little different. She her her parents weren't quite as into gardening. It was our, the other generations. It was a learning curve. But now we we've graduated up. We've got a decent size. I like got twenty by forty garden area. We kind of give out to friends and stuff like that and family members, but we enjoy that aspect. We enjoy learning about it. I like to get out there barefoot and get uh, get contact with the earth. I got a pair of them with slides. I call them flip-flops, but the, the slide sandals that uh, I kick off as I walk into the garden. I leave them outside the garden so that when I walk in, I'm barefooted. My son runs around barefooted. We enjoy that contact with the earth and being able to actually be in contact with the food that we end up eating. That's one of our favorite things, and that translates for us into livestock as well. We always had chickens growing up, maybe a bottle calf here and there, horses, stuff like that. One of the first things we did when we got our place is we went and got chickens. For almost four years now, we have not bought eggs from the store. There's some chicken products we got to buy just because it, it's hard to butcher enough chickens to eat if you're really into chicken each year. But we definitely supplement quite a bit. We we were able to subsidize a lot of our food cost into stuff that we grow ourselves. But also, it's so much enjoyment to go out. And you see, like right now, we started with about eight chickens. We're up to about, I think we've got 40 40 chickens, 10 ducks, a few geese, and then we have uh, seven pigs. Each year went by, we'd add more, add different varieties. And uh, now we're getting to the point where I think we get about almost two dozen eggs a day, probably three or four duck eggs a day. And we always have pork in the freezer. it's, It's kind of been a lifestyle that's, again, we get to enjoy the animals. Plus, it's a big benefit to have homegrown food, we're able to eat stuff that we've literally plucked out of the soil that we live on. So it's been very nice for us. We're actually working on now, we're trying to get, even take it a step further and we wanna get some greenhouses going so that we can do some indoor growing through the winter. We're trying to do something to kind of cancel out some of the stuff that's, that's happening to the soil and the air quality
0: so we can kind of control that and get some better produce going. Yes, and I think you're referring to the atmospheric salting that yep. they've been doing for many decades now. I'm amazed there are some people that don't understand or they're not aware that that is going on. The street name or the slang term might be chemtrails. That definitely affects the air and soil and there's been a transformation, not in a good way, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially the, the last 30 years where the atmospheric salting has really picked up. But when we first met early, you showed an interest. One of the reasons, even though our ages are different, but what we have in common is you were really interested in the energized or restructured water yep. research project. And you were one of the first to use uh, and start to experiment with the energized water in the garden. But a lot of people aren't aware. I'll just talk a little bit about this and then you can give your thoughts and your experience of this. water. The water molecule H2O is by far the most misunderstood chemical molecular compound on the planet. I think that's by design. Water H2O the percentage around 72% of the planet is water and that's exact same ratio uh, of a newborn infant that's not by accident it's by design i found that out in years of research traditionally i was trained in atomic theory which all academia worldwide emphasizes atomic theory in your traditional physics and chemistry. But as I got older and started to study and learn about field theory, I had that aha moment where I realized field theory was much more accurate explaining how life works in this holographic universe. And the hydrogen atom, according to atomic theory, is really the first iteration of hard light according to field theory. Some of the great minds of the late 1800s, early 1900s, your Steinmetz, Heaviside, Faraday, Buckminster Fuller, Tesla, knew about field theory, Dr. Royal Raymond Rife. And what's interesting is their work, all their work was confiscated by a certain department of the U.S. government. I think that's very interesting. And they were de-emphasized. And I think that's for a reason. And who was put in the forefront? Well, your Edisons and your Albert Einstein, which lean more towards atomic theory. So why is it? I always ask myself, why is it that field theory was kind of thrown under the bus or discouraged and all the great minds or research was confiscated by the United States government, certain particular agencies and departments of the government? But yet atomic theory, that's what was pushed to the forefront and has dominated academia worldwide. Well, one reason is because in field theory, if you understand water, the water molecule, what it really is, you'll have a completely different take on life. You'll have a completely different understanding physically and spiritually, what consciousness is, how life works. I I mean, it's a night and day difference. And I'll, I'll let you instead of talking for another 10 yeah. minutes, I'll explain some more, but let you cut in. Do you have uh, any thoughts on that before I go?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So our talks on water, water and field theory, that's what initially led me to change the way I looked at, it, especially start getting ready to start gardening and farming and stuff. I realized that I had to, to look at this a different way. I couldn't go about it the way that you know, our parents and even grandparents have been, have been taught about science and, and how we interact with things and i noticed right away in my personal experiences with field theory research and, and again the water that there's just no way that it's not something that to, at least worth looking into uh, because everything that i've done the way that I, I grow things and everything i've had to each year i've had to tweak things to be more aligned with field theory then i get better results but when i tried to garden traditionally I would have less and less success. So the more I move towards field theory and that, that thought process start doing research on, on people like, like you mentioned Steinmetz and, and Nikola Tesla and, Oh, the, the Forrester, Victor Schauberger.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's
1: a big one. That's why I like to look, especially agriculture. If you're interested in agriculture and, and how, uh, Field theory can impact that. He's got some very good books, but then they've also done some documentaries on him that are available for public use. And that's something that I've done research into as a way to make changes in my garden, my farming, everything.
0: Yes. Water, I've come to find out, is really the organic battery. So what happens is some other scientists and I, I've designed a machine. There's only one. It's my, my machine that uh, I had built. I I think others are able to accomplish this in the past and maybe right now, but I think everyone is being very quiet about it, which I think is wise. I will never go public. I'll never apply for a patent. I don't write white papers regarding this. I think we're in dangerous times, Uh, society, and the way governments are structured and the laws globally do not favor uh, disclosure or anything that would benefit mankind. So out of wisdom, a lot of scientific discoveries are done quietly and only discussed in confidence with other scientists or close comrades. Well, the water molecule is an organic battery, so it can be charged and discharged endlessly, trillions upon trillions of years, and the water molecule will never wear out. Today, If you have technology such as electric automobiles and trucks, what's one of the main issues or problems with an electric vehicle? What happens after so many years of charging and discharging, let's say, a vehicle?
1: Oh, you've got to get a new battery. As of right now, the technology available to the public, those batteries do not last long enough to be uh, truly efficient. That discharge and then recharge of them continues to wear down the inner components to where they're just not usable after whatever their lifespan
0: is. Right. It could be, I don't know, 10, 20, close to 30000 dollars to get a new battery bank. Yeah. On some of these that's a problem. Then what do you do with the toxicity of the (laughs) use? Well the water molecule can be charged and discharged and never, ever wear out. That's number one. Second is unfortunately most of the water available to mankind today, whether it be faucet municipal city water, a lot of bottled water, or the water content in beverages, whether it's sodas, beers, energy drinks, anything of that nature, is what we call in field theory bulk water. If any of you go and type in water molecule in a search engine, and you look up images. We've had it in, in uh, junior high, high school, college textbooks. You see the water molecule. You have the oxygen, which is primarily negative, and then the two hydrogens, which are positive. So water is bipolar, positive leaning on the two hydrogen side, and then negative on the oxygen side. So it kind of has that Mickey Mouse look. But the bond angle between the hydrogen is 104.5, 104.5. That's in classic literature and a lot of the diagrams. The problem is at 104.5 bond angle between the two hydrogens, that's de-energized or bulk water. We have figured out a way with technology to increase that bond angle to 108 degrees. When you increase the bond angle to 108 degrees, water becomes energized and it takes on different characteristics, different properties of physics. And I think that's what the system engineers or those that are trying to control the world's affairs, they don't want the general population to understand why. Many reasons. So let's go down a checklist. At a 108-degree bond angle between the hydrogen molecules, water takes on a different lattice structure. When it does that, it becomes smaller, the lattice structure, and water with a 108-degree bond angle can actually penetrate and enter at an intracellular level. Whether it's human, plant, or animal. That's a huge difference. At 104.5, you don't get the water penetration because the lattice structure work, the water is too large to enter intracellularly. So that's the mitochondria, vesicles, the nucleus. At 108 degrees, it can. With field theory, there's a phenomenon that takes place when water molecule is manipulated to widen the hydrogen bond angle on 108 degrees, it actually draws energy from counter space or a term zero point energy. The water molecule is able to extract energy from the etheric field and become fully charged. Well, what does that mean? If you're a, a child with a toy that needs batteries, or let's say an uh, old-school flashlight mm-hmm. where you're putting the batteries in the flashlight or an electrical tool like a drill, yep. a cordless drill. You use them all the time and work. How does a flashlight, a drill, or a child's toy, how does that perform when there's a brand-new set of batteries in it?
1: Oh, it's it's way better. In, in the essence, or in the case of a drill, <laughs> you have full torque. The, the power is there. You're going to be faster. The motor's going to work work more efficiently. It's going to be stronger. You won't have any lag time, anything like that. Whereas if you get a a drill battery that's almost out, it's going to be intermittent. It's going to almost, as you're drilling, it's going to stop, maybe kick back on a little bit as it hits another little bit of charge somewhere in the, the battery capacity. The difference between full battery and low battery is night and day. It's night and day difference.
0: Yeah, and then the older flashlights that maybe aren't LED, the intensity, the looms, the brightness of the bulb gets dimmer as the batteries are getting weaker, or if it's a radio-controlled car or toy, a child's toy, yep. it's not running at high speed, or if it's a helicopter, it's it actually lifts off. lifts yeah. off. So, you, easy illustration, correct? Yep. An organic cell, a human plant or animal is no different. What do you think happens to the cells and the metabolism and the chemistry of a human plant or animal If it's able to have access to energized water at a cellular and intracellular level, any ideas? Oh, yeah. I mean, just from my own
1: uh, experience and and research I've done, there's definitely uh, a big difference. When you have that full energization at a cellular level, it it prolongs the life expectancy of that object that water was introduced to. My experience with plants, you get uh, better plant growth. You get uh, better nutrition absorbency, so it actually is able to take in the full and the proper nutrients from the soil because it's actually acting even down to a cellular level. It's on 100% versus maybe down 10, 20, 30%. So no matter what it is, human, animal, plant, your body is going to function or the, the object is going to function better if it's at full
0: charge versus low charge. Right. So what's interesting is the Latin root word of disease is dis and what happens is a cell, when a cell is at dis ease or a state of disease, it's stressed. One of the main reasons why a cell would be stressed doesn't matter, human, plant, or animal one of the reasons why a cell is at stress is when it's not getting hydration. A, a plant, for example, has turbo pressure, but humans or animals, if a cell is dehydrated, its structure is the integrity of the structure is compromised. Let's use a construction term. What happens uh, as a building ages and there's movement in the ground or the foundation settles and you have a opening, let's say a door or garage door opening, and it's no longer square. Mm -hmm. How does the door function opening and shutting or the garage door if that opening is out of square
1: you'd be lucky if it functions at all especially the longer time goes on and the longer those things haven't been corrected and haven't been adjusted whatever the more and more out of square it's going to get the more it's going to continue to function you might have your say like the that garage door one side might try to go up a little more than the other maybe it goes up real slow and takes forever to open whereas when it was brand new it would smoothly open and close so definitely you, you have a big difference between brand new just freshly built and maybe 10, 20, 30 years down the road, you're going to see a progression of deterioration that ends up the object's not going to work and it'll need to
0: be replaced. Right. So there's either increased friction or it jams, can't close properly. Well, cells have doors that open and close. So you take a cell that is dehydrated, its structure and shape is compromised. Doors have difficulty opening and shutting. Well, a cell is like a city. You have to have nutrition coming in, waste coming out. If the doorway or pathway of nutrition coming in, waste exiting, cannot open or close or op- operate, you have a cell that's stressed. Yeah. And then the root for this ease or disease. So energized water, 108 degree bond angle, is able to hydrate at an intracellular level. Second thing that we found out, and we'll let the audience uh, know that you've experimented with this water in your gardens. When water is energized, another physical phenomenon that is not taught at major universities, you will not see white papers on this. I'm telling you, this information is suppressed for a reason. Water has the ability to have short-term memory or even capture consciousness. What do I mean by that? this is a big statement to make. Yeah. So <clears throat>
1: water, when it's being charged, like in nature, whatever environment that it's going into, the process that's charging it is giving it a certain, call it ability, a certain process that it's kind of teaching it to do. So in, in this instance, bulk water, you, you could call it uh, stupid water or dumb water because it, it has no ability. It has no extra enhancement. Whereas energized water Is literally able to take whatever's being programmed into it and it holds that programming and then relays it to whatever object, person, animal and takes that, that programming
0: is going to stick all the way till that person consumes that water. The reason why Sasquatch Dad knows this is he's had access to this water and he's been experimenting with it in the gardens and and doing uh, testing and Gathering data himself. So this is his first-hand experience. I'm telling you as a scientist who's invented this process When water is at that energized structure, we emit energy. You ever hear people talking about someone's aura? uh, Or Expression, I don't know about that person. He or she gave me bad vibes Or I get the willies whenever I run. Okay, Anything that's alive that has a respiratory system has consciousness. So plants have a consciousness, animals, humans. Our consciousness is a higher level than an apple tree or, or cabbage, but it still has consciousness. We have an electrical signature. When water is energized, it will absorb or imprint whatever energy is near it if you are exhibiting with intent, with your thought, now this gets into woo-woo territory, don't roll your eyes, we have to test and verify this beyond a shadow of a doubt. Once you get water at an energized state, if you intent love, healing, joy, goodness, verbally say it or have it written on a piece of paper, that frequency that's being generated by those thoughts that those words define, love, joy, goodness, being happy, whatever it is. That positive emotion, the energy that you create is literally transferred into that freshly energized water molecule. It will stay that way until that water molecule is consumed by a plant, animal, or human. And then that frequency of love, joy, whatever it was imprinted, happiness, goodness, gratitude, that energy frequency that's oscillating inside that water crystal gets transferred directly into the interior of the cell of the human planter animal. And you can physically see it. I don't want to put words in it because we're getting close up to an hour and people are like, oh, this is just getting good. And you're going <laughs> to What happens is you, you, if you have access to energized water, let's say for plants, the, the plants are responding because it has a freshly charged battery, just like the illustration of the flashlight drill or toy. The plants love it. It has energy now that's transferred into the cells. The cells perk up, they're hydrated, so the doors open and shut for uh, en- uh, nutrients and waste entering and exiting. Then you program a frequency of joy, gratitude, happiness, goodness. That enriches the cell of this plant. The cell communicates to the other cells. They're all getting this water with the same programming. That plant literally shines, lifts upright. The beauty of the stem and the leaves or the flower is noticeably different than another section of the garden that has standard water that's a bulk water. And gallons upon gallons you've used and you've noticed a difference. We have a few minutes left but anything you want to share about what you've noticed when this is applied in your garden?
1: Yeah definitely. I noticed when I first started using it that especially what what really stood out to me the first thing was freshly transplanted plants. Anyone who's been a gardener has experience with it will know that when you freshly transplant something even if it's a seedling into a new pot, into, maybe you you started the seeds inside and you're moving them outside, whatever it is, you'll notice a a period of a few days sometimes, just depends on the plant, each one's different. Uh, But you'll notice a period of droopiness, maybe a little lackluster color will dull a little bit and it'll be a few day period before this plant is able to actually regather itself and then start attributing its energy back to growing. So during that state, obviously your plant's not growing, It's not making new leaves, nothing like that. It's trying to stay alive because you just transplanted it somewhere else. You uprooted it and put it somewhere else. Well, one of my first experiences with the water was on some freshly transplanted tomato plants. The first day the leaves were a little droopy and they were kind of getting dull from when I transplanted them. Then I used the water on them and immediately within that first day, whereas normally I would see a two, three day period before I started seeing the plants perk up within that first 24 hours the plants immediately stood up a little straighter, the leaves uh, were full, the color came back, and you actually seen the growing process reinitiate versus having that two to three day uh, period where, where they normally wouldn't. So that was one of my first experiences with the water, and I was able to see it in real time, see what happened with it. And I noticed all my plants uh, compared to the year before when I hadn't used it. All my plants just tended to do better and just continued to, to grow a lot better. And, and I also noticed that you, you also have to, when you go in your garden, and I assume we'll probably get into this in a, maybe a later episode, but you have to continue those, those loving thoughts, like he mentioned, that intent. You, you can't use this water and turn around and go into your garden angry and maybe stomp around, put off bad energy into your garden at that point. So it's something you have to continue to work on, even as you're, maybe as you're watering or as you're weeding the garden, whatever it is, you you wanna have that intent continue, that consciousness continue to be vibrating in a a higher
0: manner, because any low vibrations are gonna kinda start to null that water's effect. As you mentioned, being barefoot, being grounded in the garden, you've got little Sasquatch with you, so he's giggling and having a ball and uh, you're communicating as a family. All that energy is transferred into the plant, so you have a healthy garden. You're connected at one with the garden. The plants are picking up you and your family's energy, yep. vice versa. The, the water is energized, so it's programmed. It has that intent. We've noticed uh, the quality of the p- plants and the produce off the charts. Plants are three times larger, taller, the size of the tomato, the quality when you bite into a fruit or vegetable is off the chart with the energized water soil that would be technically viewed as dead can be revived. Why do you think this knowledge is suppressed and it never sees the day of light as far as being able to get patented, marketed, or being able to reach the average citizen? you have any thoughts on that? I definitely do. Because if you look at, especially if you look
1: at like industrial farming versus uh, a home gardener, uh, when you have people that are dependent on these big, you know, thousand acre farms that grow everyone's food, maybe industrial greenhouses where you have tons of people and, they're, and none of them are the people that are going to eat the food. They're all just growing it for someone else. They're using bulk water. They're doing it for a job. They're not doing it because they love to farm or they love to do it. It's because they make money off it. It's, it's a profession. When you have all these factors come together, and especially when you're lacking <clears throat> the energized water, there's no way you're going to get highly nutritional food that's actually good for you. You're always going to be, call it bulk food in that instance, because the food isn't going to be as, it's not going to do what it needs to do to your body. It, you know, all of its cells are already going to be dying. Even when the the food is, is fully mature, ripe and, and given to you, that fruit has already started to die. So you're literally consuming dead flesh at that point, dead dead flesh of that fruit, because its cells were dead even before it ripened. My views on it are that whoever's orchestrating this, whatever engineers that are engineering this system and what they want to do, they don't want people to have healthy lives. They want people to be suppressed, be it your immune system, health, your mental capabilities. They want to suppress that. And one of the biggest ways is to cut off people's access to this energized water. Because if you look at natural waterways, most of them most of them are highly energized, and you can tell by looking at them when you see them. If, if you cut the water supply off to the plants that people eat, you've now cut off yet another place that they can get that energized water from. Now, if you have uh, bulk water getting supplied to bulk food, none of that's going to do anything and help anyone who's eating it.
0: Yeah, so you have a, definitely an agenda to disconnect us from nature, disconnect us from being organic. Disconnect us from the spiritual connection to nature. And that's what we have. Uh, the uh, office condition is sterile. Staring at a computer screen, fluorescent light fixtures. Food that we eat is grown commercially. We won't even get into the Fortune 100 companies. Don't need to mention any names, but their are pesticides and herbicides and what it does to the ecosystem. Uh, very damaging. When we have technological breakthroughs and working with water, the restructuring, programming, engineering of water. You know, one of the reasons why I've picked him to use this water and experiment is he's not a big ag, he's not a corporate farm, but he's an individual where he and his family are spiritual. They're connected to the earth. He's not involved in the rat race and chasing plastic and leather. There's a reason why he's been selected. To try this water because it's in harmony from start to finish of how this process works. In case you're not aware, we, the human species, were agricultural. We're meant to be grounded with the earth and be in harmony with plants and animals. I think a lot of you know that. We're meant to grow our own food. What happens is if instead of a commercial grocery store type setting, If we grow our own groceries, we're supposed to take each seed of whatever plant in our garden and place that seed underneath your tongue and let your saliva with your DNA encode the pericarp of the seed. Then you place that seed in the garden. Your wife does the same thing. Your children do the same. So when you're growing a row of carrots, green beans, cabbage, whatever it might be, strawberries, uh, a fruit tree, that particular row of carrots... With your DNA encoded on that seed, that row of carrots will be custom grown for your body type and your metabolism. That row of carrots, believe it or not, will be different than the row of carrots of your wife, of your children, because we're at one with the with the earth. It's supposed to be customized like that. And while the plants are growing, if you're out there watering the plants, You're de-weeding the garden, giggling and laughing. You don't think that carrot picks up on your energy signature and your wife's energy signature and your children's energy signature, and each carrot is being custom. You don't get that at a grocery store. You you grab a bag of carrots. Who grew that carrot? Some farmer three states away with a diesel tractor. There was no human uh, grounding. No one was barefoot. No one was laughing and giggling. There was no energized water. What are you eating? A sterile carrot. So – Our whole global system of reality is whacked. It has absolutely been hijacked and we've been disconnected from spirituality, from nature, from being organic. It's a crime against humanity. When you try to bring people's attention to this, you're either booed, hissed, or in some cases, you're floating face down in a river because you discovered something that the system engineers do not want to get out to the public. I'll leave it at that note because we're uh, at an hour. I'll give you one last sentence or words as we sign off on episode three, but you're certainly welcome to come back for a, another episode. Everyone's going to ask, where can I get this water? That's another <laughs> tough thing because I, I'd, I'd love for everyone to have access to this, but the government structure and the laws will shut me down so quick. I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. You and I and others, we're trying to figure this out. But let me tell you, this has been tested for years. The results are off the chart. There'll be no news media. We can't. There'll be no articles about this. There's a lot of danger involved, unfortunately. But I'm just letting you know, start thinking about this. Get this into your consciousness. It is real. We'll do the best we can on these episodes to try to uh, encourage the audience uh, to do some investigating. But we have to be careful, at least I do, as a scientist. So uh, Sasquatch Dad, do you have any final comments before we sign off? Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, so I really appreciate the time. Hope everyone's having a, a great day and find really likes the uh, information in here. But what I would recommend is, especially with the water, uh, is I mentioned him earlier, but uh, Victor Schauberger. He has a couple of, uh, there's a good video, especially I, I watch it on Odyssey personally, but it, it's called, I believe it's The Nature of Water. And there's a couple other ones. And that would definitely be a good jump start to get in, start understanding the field theory, the physics of water, how it works, why it was designed to work that way, and how you can start to maybe implement something that's your own, be it, uh, I mean, you can even do this in the city. It, it's not a necessarily a country-specific thing, but uh, definitely do some research into him if you're interested in energized water and agricultural aspect of it as well.
0: Okay, well, that'll do it. This is uh TNT with episode three, Ethereal Underground. We would like to thank our special guest, Sasquatch dad. Hopefully we'll be able to have him back future episodes and he can fill you in on more experiments that he's doing with the energized water and his homestead. We wish him well, the rest of his family. We wish all of you well, the listening audience, and until next time, take care.